Thank you, Ronnell, and grace and peace to you this morning. We're so glad that you're here with us today and um, have a lot of people joining us online this morning. I know probably a lot of people under the weather and so want to pray for them. We especially got a, uh, a prayer request from Carolyn Kutak, who said that her husband, Rudy, is dealing with COVID. And so uh, please keep uh, Rudy in your prayers. And a couple comments online about Ronnell and his wonderful singing. So uh, thanks for blessing us this morning, Ronnell. Well, we're in this series in First um, Corinthians and kind of working our way through the book. And uh, notice that this is a messy church. There's lots of problems here. And one question that we should be asking throughout um, our study or our reading of 1 Corinthians is this question. What is the solution? You know, we're aware of all the problems in this church in Corinth. In fact, it's, it's the problems that garner most of the attention. It's what's the, what the book is known for. It's, it's somewhat scandalous. We cannot imagine a church where, where, where people are getting drunk during the Lord's Supper and the, the members are visiting prostitutes, but that's what's going on in Corinth. That and a whole lot more. And all the problems are described in this letter, and we're given details about these sins that are ravishing the church. But what we really need to do is pay attention to the solution to these problems. And so what is the solution to division? What is the solution to sexual immorality? What is the solution to pride? What is the solution to envy? We need to find solutions to these human problems and devote ourselves to whatever that is because we wrestle with some of the same problems. We may not be getting drunk during the Lord's Supper or visiting prostitutes, but we wrestle with division, pride, sexual immorality, envy, and all the other sins that we find in this letter. And I want to suggest to you that the Corinthian church is not an outlier. We're not given this letter so we can sit back and just say, I'm glad I'm not like that church. This is a letter about the problems of humanity. It's about the daily struggles that, that you and I face and how to overcome these struggles. And so one of the first solutions comes in chapter 2 and verse 2. It's one that we've already looked at, so we won't spend much time here. But, but, but this is one of the first solutions. Paul writes, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And this is Paul's response to all of the division in the congregation. He doesn't choose sides. He doesn't choose one philosophy over another philosophy or one movement over another movement. He chooses Jesus. And that might sound cliche, but it's not. And we need to make sure that, that we do not make following Jesus cliche. Because following Jesus is the best thing that we can do, but it's also a challenge. And because it is challenging, few choose it. It's the narrow way when most people are choosing the broad way. It's taking up our cross and denying ourselves while most people are all about boosting their egos. G.K. Chesterton put it this way, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. And so to choose Jesus 
is to choose a way of life that we strive to live by every day. And it becomes cliche or meaningless only when we embrace the name of Jesus, but we do not live like Jesus. When we wear the name of Jesus, but we do not walk in the ways of Jesus. And so to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified is to intend to become like Jesus. Dallas Willard says this about intention. We underestimate the significance of intention. It is one thing to wish for something. It's another thing to want it. And it's a third thing to intend it. Intention is the point where we decide that we're going to bring this into reality. And I want you to just think about that quote for a moment and consider your relationship with Jesus. Do you wish to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Jesus? Or do you intend to be like Jesus? Because there's a difference. There's a difference. And when we make following Jesus our number one priority, it's going to put everything else in perspective. We won't be divided if we are united around Jesus. We will understand that our body is not our own and we are to glorify Christ in our body. Pride will not be an issue because we are daily crucifying our ego and embracing our cross and we're following Jesus. And so the first solution to all the problems in Corinth and all the problems in our own lives is to make Jesus everything. It is to determine to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, and to follow Jesus daily. Because if we're following the wrong person, or we're following the wrong idea, our lives are going to be a mess. If we claim to to love Jesus, but we're not implementing his teachings and living as disciples, then we're not going to be blessed by his way. And so we need to put our trust in Jesus. We need to live like him. We need to seek first his kingdom. And when we do this, we begin to put some of the mess in our lives behind us. And so that's the first solution. But what about the second one? Well, the second solution comes in the second half of the letter. In fact, it gets its own chapter in chapter 13, but it's first mentioned in chapter 8. And this is the chapter we're going to focus on this morning. It's a chapter about food sacrifice to idols. And this problem comes up several times within Scripture. It appears in Acts chapter 15. It appears in the letter to the Romans. And when we come across these passages, we might scratch our heads or, or look a little confused because this is not an issue that we deal with today. When we go to HEB or we go to Walmart, we don't have to worry about whether or not the meat that we're buying was once used in a sacrifice to a pagan god. At least I hope not. I don't know, but um, I don't think so. (laughs) However, if you were living in first century Corinth, this was 
an issue, and it was a reality. And, and religion touched er, nearly every aspect of a person's life in the ancient world. Uh, and I'll just give you a few examples of this. Uh, pagan temples, for instance, had banquet halls. And so they had large spaces, kind of like if you think about our, our four-year fellowship area and maybe larger than that, that, that people would rent out. And so you might be going to a birthday party or you might be going to a wedding or some other event and part of that celebration included a sacrifice to a pagan god. Can you go or not? Uh, you might belong to a workman's guild. So just part of your profession. And you might be expected to attend their meetings and part of that meeting was pagan worship. Sacrifices were regularly being made at these pagan temples. And what they would do is they would take parts of the animal, a lot of times the, the organs, the intestines, and those parts, and they would, they would burn those and sacrifice them to the god, and they would take the rest of the meat and they would barbecue it. And what they did not eat, they would take down to the market and they would sell it. That, that meat that had been dedicated or sacrificed to the idol. Well, as you can imagine, all of this was a big issue in the first century, and not everyone agreed about it. Now, we're not going to go into all the ins and outs of this issue. It's very interesting and fascinating, but I'll just kind of give you the gist of it. Pagan worship was off limits. Don't involve yourself in pagan worship. That's a no-no. Meat sacrifice to idols was okay as long as it did not violate your conscience. If you were okay with it, you didn't see a problem with it, then it's okay, unless, unless it was going to offend or cause another Christian to stumble. Now, there's more to it than this, but this is kind of the gist of it. Why talk about this today? Why study chapters like 1 Corinthians 8? Because we don't have to worry about meat sacrificed to idols. But the principles that we find in these chapters and in these passages, I would suggest, are still applicable today. When Paul comes back to this issue again in chapter 10, he reminds us that not all things are beneficial, not all things build up. And so in other words, we may have the right to do something, but we need to be thinking beyond our rights we need to be thinking about our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be thinking about the health of the church. We need to be thinking about what message that we are sending to the people around us. And so whether or not something is lawful is not the only thing that we need to be considering. It may not even be the most important thing that we should be considering. And so this brings us to the second solution to the problems in Corinth and the problems in our lives, and it's found in the opening verses of chapter 8. It reads, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, and this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, then he is known by God. 
And so love is the answer to the many problems that the Corinthians faced and also a lot of the problems that you and I face. Our love for one another should help us overcome whatever it is that divides us. Our love for people created in the image of God should prevent us from treating them as objects for our sexual gratification. Love for our brothers and sisters in Christ should be more important than our opinions or our rights. And so Paul says here that, that, that love is even more important than knowledge. And so we can know the right thing. We can have the right doctrine. But if we don't have love, then it's all for nothing. This is why Paul says in another letter that we are to preach the truth in love. That we're to have both of those. 1 Peter 4.8 states, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love is the solution. But just like Jesus, we need to make sure this does not become a cliché. Because people use this word love to mean all kinds of things. And Paul is using it in a very specific way here. People often use love in a very selfish way. Love is what they want, is what they desire. Love is having it their way. And, and that's the opposite of how Paul is using love and how Paul is defining love in this text. Because love, according to Scripture, according to Paul, according to God, love is thinking of others rather than thinking of ourselves. Love equals sacrifice. And love is giving ourselves to someone else. And love is the cross. This is how love is defined in Scripture. And so when we say that we're loving someone, we need to compare our love with the love of Jesus on the cross. Do they resemble one another? Is my love sacrificial? Is my love unselfish? Does my love cost me anything? Because that's what biblical love is. The problem in 1 Corinthians 8 is that some Christians are thinking of themselves rather than thinking of others. They are puffed up because of knowledge when they need to be building each other up because of love. And love is action. It's what we do for one another. It's what we're to be known for. It's what others are to see us doing. Jesus says it's the mark of a true disciple. And so if you want to know whether or not you are a true disciple of Jesus, ask yourself, how am I loving my brothers and sisters? A verse that we've looked at for the last couple of weeks, but we'll come back to it again. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so knowledge is important. We are to love Jesus with all of our mind. We find that in Scripture. 
But Jesus does not say that we'll be known for our knowledge. It is our love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, what does it mean, after all, to be a Christian church community? If in all the fine things that happen here, one thing is not completely clear, indeed self-evident, that the members of a church community are to love one another. What image is the congregation offering to itself and to the world if not even this first obligation is being taken seriously? If there was one human thing about the first Christians that pagans found convincing, it was quite simply that they could physically see with their own eyes that two neighbors or a master and a slave or estranged brothers or sisters suddenly we're no longer against each other, but rather with and for each other. So it really made a difference, outwardly and visibly, that they had become Christians. Christianity should make a difference in our lives. It should make a difference in our relationships. And it should also make a difference in the world. The love of Christ should compel us to love our brothers and sisters in ways that are extraordinary, in ways that the world cannot understand. The love of Christ that is within us should be bigger than our differences. And if we cannot love our brother or sister in Christ because of an opinion that they hold, or because of the political party that they belong to, or because of whatever it is that divides us, maybe an offense or something else, then what message are we sending to the world? It says to the world that, that our opinions are of greater importance to us than Christ's love. And if that is the message that we're sending... Churches will continue to close their doors and Christianity will continue to decline. What we need among us is the love that Bonhoeffer said, pagans found convincing. That's what we need to show the world. That's what we need to live out in our neighborhoods and at our jobs and in our communities. That is the kind of love that solves the problems that you and I face and covers a multitude of sins. I heard Bob Goff say recently, we need Bible doing rather than Bible study. And he was not trying to minimize Bible study or Christian education. He, he teaches at a Christian college. He values education. His point is that Churches can focus so much time on knowing about the Bible and spend little or no time doing what the Bible says. We come together multiple times a week to study the Bible. But how often do we come together to partake in some Bible doing? And so we need to have just as much Bible doing going on 
as Bible knowing, if not more. We need to be feeding the poor and helping the sick and visiting widows and orphans in their affliction and mentoring young people and on and on and on. And, and that in itself, all those things are love. That's what it looks like. And so when we give ourselves to love, the problems that we face become much smaller and sometimes go away altogether. When love is the motivation for what I do, then my opinions are not as important. And we need to be about love. We need this community to know us as a group of Jesus followers who love one another. So I want you to hear 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 3 again, and this time it's from the New Living Translation. I want you to meditate on these words. I want you to allow them to touch your heart so that you may leave here a changed person. Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. And anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. We need Bible doing. We need to love one another because love is the solution to the problems that we face and love covers a multitude of sins. And so let me challenge you this week to go and to do. Get outside the walls of this building and let this community see the love that you have for one another. Don't be a Christian in thought only. Don't just be a Christian inside the walls of a church building or inside the walls of your home. Be a Christian in public and let your light shine. Let your neighbors and co-workers and friends know you are a Christian because of your love for fellow Christians who may not be like you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word this morning, this word about love. And we know that following you and, and, and loving as you've described here is not always the easy way, that it can be challenging, that it requires sacrifice, that it requires giving of ourselves. But Father, we also know it is the best way. That it's the one thing that pagans find convincing. It's something that has the power to change the world in which we live. So I pray that we would devote ourselves to loving one another. But I also pray that we would not stop there that we would go out 
and that we would love our neighbors and that we would love this town and that we would even love our enemies so that they might come to know the love that you have poured out on us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen.